few years back, my father and I were in Europe together, and uh, as we were walking down the streets, I believe we were in London when this story took place, uh, we came across a couple members of the Hindu Hare Krishna cult. Now, you don't see the Hare Krishna guys around too often anymore, but if you remember, you know, some of you who were alive back in the 70s and 80s, uh, they were fairly prominent. Uh, you would see them on the street corners, often uh, wearing their uh, long orange robes, bald heads, and pigtails down the back. Sometimes they're selling flowers, and you usually see them with their little tom-tom drums, and they're out there chanting, and uh, the Hare Krishnas will stand out in public and chant 1,728 times a day the Maha Mantra, the great mantra, which is the name of their god, Hare Krishna. And, and, uh, and so they'll stand out on the corners and they'll, they'll chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. And they'll chant that over and over and over again, 1,728 times a day, thinking that through chanting the name of their god, Krishna, that they will all ultimately experience enlightenment. Well, my dad, he was, a, he was a Christian apologist and evangelist. He was never shy about uh, interacting with people in other religions and, and uh, sharing his faith with people. And so my dad, he saw these two guys on the street corner, and uh, he just marched right up to them, walked up behind them as they're chanting and playing their tom-tom drums, and put his arms around their shoulders and said to these guys, guys, do you guys know that Jesus loves you? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. My dad said, I know, but, but guys, Jesus loves you. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna. My dad said, guys, wait a minute, hold on a second. Let me ask you a question. What will Krishna do for me? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. My dad said, guys, I heard that part. I get that. But tell me, what will Krishna do for me? Well, all of a sudden, one of the guys stopped his drumming. And they stopped their chanting, and they turned and they looked at my dad. And they said, well, what you need to do, their eyes got all big. What you need to do is you need to chant 1,728 times a day the Maha Mantra Hare Krishna. And someday, someday, you'll evolve into the great nothing. My dad said, really? I mean, I'd rather evolve into the great pumpkin or something. But this was their entire goal in life. They spent their entire lives chanting the name of Krishna with the goal of becoming one with the impersonal nothing. Now, I share this story with you this morning because it sets the context for our Lord's teaching today. Today, we're going to find Jesus teaching us how to pray and who specifically we are to be praying to. If you remember where we were last week at the outset of Matthew chapter 6, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was talking about the motivations of our heart when it comes to worship. And are, are, are we motivated solely for God's glory or are we seeking our glory, our acclaim? And if you recall, one of the illustrations that Jesus used to make that point was the topic of prayer. When we pray, are we praying out in public to get applause from other people, for people to think how spiritual we are and, you know, wow, what an amazing guy, spiritual guy he is? Or, or are we praying for God's glory, 
seeking a, a relationship with him for his honor, for his fame, right? And, and not to get the attention and applause of others. Well, that was the context of our passage. And, and in this illustration of prayer that Jesus gives us, speaking about the motivations of our heart, Jesus then kind of makes a little segue into the topic of prayer. And I, little segue is a huge understatement because it's a segue into one of the most significant teachings on prayer that we have in the Bible. The Lord's Prayer. And here, as Jesus is talking about prayer, he makes an interesting comment in verses 7 and 8. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Again, he's been talking about the motivations of our heart when we pray. And then Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then as we're going to see in a moment, he goes on to teach his disciples how to pray. But here in verses 7 and 8, Jesus begins his teaching on prayer with this, with this statement that we should not be heaping up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, seeking to get God's attention, seeking to plead with God over our requests, thinking that we can, through some magical type prayers or chanting, earn God's favor or earn God's blessing in our lives, Jesus says, no, don't pray like the Gentiles do, heaping up empty praises, thinking that through the multiplicity of their words that they're going to impress God. This word here, this phrase in the Greek, heap up empty phrases, it's one word, batalogeo, and it, it, it means to utter many useless, purposeless words. Now, scholars basically debate what exactly he's referring to here. Because historically, we know that this could refer to repetitious kind of prayers where we simply just pray the same things over and over and over again. This could refer to angelic-type languages, ecstatic, supernatural kind of languages. And we know that the Jews were involved in that at times. We know that other pagan religions practiced ecstatic, angelic languages. And it could also refer to magical spells or incantations. Like, like hocus pocus, abracadabra, right? These, these magical words that are, really don't mean anything but have some supernatural purpose behind them. And, and so we don't know exactly what Jesus is referring to there. Maybe all of the above in a sense. But he's very clear that we as his people shouldn't be heaping up empty phrases in our prayers, now, this is really still tremendously relevant for today because when you look at the world today, this kind of praying, heaping up empty phrases, useless words, purposeless words, this is still found all over in many of the world's religions. For example, the Muslims will, will bow five times a day in repetitious prayer, praying to Allah facing Mecca. If you study Hinduism or any of the New Age cults, you'll often find one of the methods of the Hindus or those involved in the New Age movement is to seek enlightenment through repetitious chanting of mantras, the names of their gods. You can look at modern-day paganism and various forms of witchcraft and things like this that recite magical spells and incantations, right? Jesus says this is not what prayer is. Prayer isn't about heaping up empty phrases, uttering useless, purposeless words. True prayer, as we're going to see this morning, biblical prayer is a rational, personal conversation 
with our personal creator, God. God wants to commune with us. He wants to talk to us. It's not repetitious pleading. It's not an emptying of our minds. It's not ritualistic or mechanical. It's not about manipulation or bargaining with God. It's not subjective contemplation, sitting in silence, contemplating God, right? It's none of those things. Prayer is an invitation to personally commune with God, And we're going to see that this morning in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is going to teach us as his disciples how to pray. In fact, we call this the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. This is Jesus teaching us as Jesus' people how we should be praying. Now, friends, you need to pay attention to this. This is hugely significant. We we have so many fad prayers in our culture. It seems like every few years there's a new fad prayer that comes along, right? We've had the prayer of Jabez. We've had the Daniel prayer. We've had contemplative prayer. We've had walking prayer labyrinths, right? It seems like every few years people are looking for a new, new technique, a new way to pray. But think about what this is, friends. We have God incarnate, the word in flesh, Jesus, who has come to us and said, look it, let me teach you how to pray. This is how I desire you to commune with me. And so he gives us the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, as a pattern, a model for us to embrace in our prayer lives. It's personal. It's rational. It's about communion with God. And we find this model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Let's read this together. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound right at the end there. I I remember adding a few words at the end for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's in the King James Version that many of us memorized when we were uh, young people, right? And uh, the King James Version was written based on manuscripts, ancient manuscripts that were later in origin. We have newer manuscripts, more closer to the original teaching, and the newest, the earliest manuscripts that we have closest to the teachings of Jesus don't include that last phrase. So it's most likely that Jesus taught these words and that that last phrase was a later addition by some of his disciples. Now that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's unbiblical. It just means it's probably not close to what the original language really was when we look at the historical documents. But this is the Lord's Prayer. This is the model prayer. He teaches us as his disciples, as Jesus' people, how we are to be praying. And not just how we're to be praying, but who we are to be praying to. And friends, I want you to think about this. We often struggle with prayer, don't we? We often struggle with our motivations in prayer. We often struggle with how do we pray? What should we pray? Who should we be praying to? How do we pray to him, right? Like if you struggle with prayer, this is the teaching for you. The next few weeks as we study the Lord's Prayer together, this is Jesus again, God in flesh, teaching us out of love for us how he desires us to commune with him. 
And so this morning as we begin our study on the Lord's Prayer, we're going to focus uh, specifically on verse 9, the very first phrase in the Lord's Prayer, so that we can see who it is we're praying to and who we are in relation to him. Let's pray and ask God's blessing as we look at this opening line of the Lord's Prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we ask that this morning you would open our eyes to the, to the power in this phrase, to the reality of who you are and who we are in relation to you and how it is that you desire us to approach you as your people. And so, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would illuminate these words for us and implant them deep in our hearts so that we might grow closer to you as a result of this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In this simple statement, we learn a number of things about God. The first thing that we learn is that the God of Jesus' people is a personal father. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father. He begins his whole instruction on prayer by inviting us to approach God as Father. Now, now, for those of you who have grown up in the church, like this might just be kind of like, yeah, I get that. I know that. I've heard this a hundred times, right? We, we often forget how incredible it is that we have the privilege of approaching God as Father. We take that for granted, those of us who have grown up in the church praying these words our whole lives, right? I remember when I was a, <clears throat> in college, I worked at a camp out in California, just outside of Yosemite National Park. And uh, every week we would take groups of campers, we'd take them on a bus into the park for a day of hiking around Yosemite National Park. If you've ever been there, when you drive into Yosemite National Park, you go through this massive tunnel cut through the mountain. And, and so you're driving along these windy mountain roads, all of a sudden you go through this real long tunnel, and as the tunnel opens up, this is the view. This is your very first view when you drive into Yosemite National Park. And when you see this for the first time, it's just breathtaking. It blows your mind. It's one of the most beautiful places in the whole world. And here's what happens, though. When you're going there every week, sometimes multiple times in a week, for two years, like over and over and over again... I found myself getting to the point over my times going to Yosemite where I'd drive through that tunnel, I'd get to the overpass where you pull over to look out and see the view, and I'd just kind of be like, yeah, you know, cool view, right? And I would take for granted what a privilege it was to be standing there. And I'd have to stop once in a while and look around at, you know, at the campers that we were bringing in, these junior high kids, these senior high kids who had never seen this before, and their eyes are just, Wow. Right, And I had to appreciate it with a fresh vision. Well, friends, that's how I am praying that we will understand and receive the Lord's Prayer over the next few weeks. And as we understand what Jesus means today when he speaks of God as our Father, what an incredible thing this truly is. May we never take it for granted. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father. The word father that Jesus used in his language at the time, Aramaic, the word father there is Abba. And Abba literally means dearest father or daddy. It's a term of endearment that a child speaks to their father. When, when babies were weaned in the Jewish Middle Eastern culture, we know from historical sources that the first words that they were taught were Abba and Ima. 
daddy and mommy, just like we would teach our kids in English today, right? And so Jesus says, when we pray, approach God as our father, our dearest father, our daddy. Now, friends, this was revolutionary in Jesus' day because the Jews would never think to speak of God in this terms, in these terms as our personal father. In fact, when you read the Old Testament, God is only referred to Father in the Old Testament 14 times, the whole Old Testament, 14 times. And those 14 times are all in reference to God being the Father of the nation of Israel. Not in the context of a personal Father, but the Father of the nation of Israel. And so from Genesis to Malachi, you won't find anyone in the Bible praying to God as their father in the sense of an Abba father, a daddy, dearest father. This was a a foreign concept to the Jewish mind. But then Jesus comes along. And when we come to Jesus in the New Testament, what we discover in the Gospels, friends, do you know that Jesus never addressed God as anything but Abba, father, daddy? 60 times in the Gospels when Jesus prays. He always prays to Abba, to his dearest father, Daddy. Again, this was revolutionary. And and not only was it revolutionary in the time of Jesus and, and even for us as Jesus people, but when you look at the history of the world's religions, when you look at the world's religions today, you won't find any other religion talking about God as an eternal and personal father. The religion of Islam, for example, talks about Allah and highlights Allah's supremacy. The Quran gives us 99 names for God, and not one of them is that God is our father. Hinduism and the New Age cults, right? They, they say that God is, everything is one, everything is God, and God is an impersonal universal force. You, you, you look, for example, at Buddhism. Buddha, Buddha taught there was no God. Buddhism is an atheistic religion. Ultimate reality in Buddhism is nirvana, and nirvana is the impersonal nothing. Buddha described it as the blowing out of a candle where you just cease to exist and become one with the nothing. Animism, found all over the world, teaches that there's an unknowable high God but we can only act, interact with the lesser spirits that indwell nature. Again, friends, you go around the world and you quickly discover that only Christianity reveals God as an eternal and personal father. And only Jesus gives us this invitation of approaching God, the privilege of approaching God as our father, our Abba. What an incredible thing this is. But friends, I need to stress this point for us this morning. This privilege of calling God our Father, this is only for followers of Jesus Christ. See, only followers of Jesus can approach God as Father. Remember, friends, the Lord's Prayer, this is a disciple's prayer. This is a prayer for Jesus' people. And only those who have been adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ can call God, Father. There's this popular notion in our world today called the the universal fatherhood of God. You you often hear people using phrases like, you know, we're all God's children, right? Politicians love to talk that way, right? We're all God's children. Friends, that's not true. That's not even biblical. 
Yes, we're all created by God. We're all made in the image of God. And because of that, all people have inherent dignity and worth. But we're not all God's children. The Bible tells us there are two families in this world. There's the family of the devil and there's the family of God. Jesus, for example, speaking of the Pharisees in John 8, 42 and 44, he says of the Pharisees, you're of your father the devil. He says the reason you don't know me is because you're not from me. You're not of me. You're not a child of God. You're of your father the devil. Paul, speaking in Ephesians, talking about unbelievers, unsaved Gentiles. In Ephesians 2, he he speaks of them as sons of disobedience and children of wrath. A few chapters later in verse 5, speaking of these unbelievers, these Gentiles, unsaved people, he calls them sons of disobedience who are in darkness. Friends, understand, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not in God's family. You are not a child of God. You cannot call God your father. You are a child of the devil. Now again, I know most people don't think that, and they don't go out of their way to embrace that or celebrate that, right? But this is the reality. They're in darkness, as Paul says here. They don't know, even know, what family they're truly a part of. And so there's the devil's family, but then there's God's family. And how do we become part of God's family? Well, we read in the New Testament, for example, John in John 1.12 tells us that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believe in his name and put their trust in Jesus, he gives us the right to become children of God. And then we read things like Romans 8, 14 through 17, where where Paul tells us, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, if you have the Holy Spirit within you through faith in Jesus, you are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's only through the Holy Spirit within us that we can truly cry out, Abba, Father, referring to God as our daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul echoes this in Galatians 4, 6. He says this, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's Jesus' people who have the Spirit. It's Jesus' people who have the privilege of crying out to God, Abba, Father. As the Apostle John says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Friends, there's two families in this world, the family of the devil or the family of God. And what you do with Jesus depends, will make it dependent on what you do with Jesus, which of the two families you're a part of. Do you put your trust in Jesus and receive him by faith to be adopted into God's family as a child of God. Then and only then can you truly approach God as your Abba Father. Friends, let me ask you this morning, do you know God like that? Do you know him as your Abba? As your father, your daddy? If you don't have that kind of relationship with God, you can, but it only comes by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. And then God adopts you into his family as a child of God. 
Now, this is where it gets really encouraging because in knowing God personally as our Father, what we come to discover is that He's also a loving Father. Our God is a loving Father. I came across an interesting video clip this past week, you know, Super, the Super Bowls tonight, and this past week on social media, I saw a great clip of Tom Brady. Tom Brady, who's universally recognized as the second greatest quarterback who's ever lived. Uh, Tom, Tom Brady uh, was being interviewed before one of his Super Bowls a few years ago. And Tom Brady was asked by a little boy in the crowd of reporters, who's your hero? Take a look at Tom Brady's response. Who's my hero? It's a great question. Well, I think my dad is my hero because he's someone that I look up to every day. And uh, my dad, I'd say my dad represents his feelings. Awesome. Um, he says my dad. You know, because he's his dad. Is no, he's a hero. dad. You can see the emotion and there in his response. You know, friends, it's interesting. You ask the question, you know, what kind of father is Tom Brady's dad? I honestly can't tell you anything about Tom Brady's dad. I don't know anything about the man. But what I do know beyond a shadow of doubt is that Tom Brady knows that his dad loves him. That's an Abba Father kind of response from Tom Brady there. And friends, for those of us who've come to know God personally through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we too come to discover and know without a doubt that the Bible's testimony about our Heavenly Father is absolutely true. As Jesus' people, we come to know the promises and the truths about who God is, like 1 John 4, 7 and 8, that God is love. Like 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4, that God is the Father of all mercies and comfort. Like James 5, 11, God is compassionate and merciful. Yes, friends, all these things are true of our Abba Father. Maybe no passage in Scripture better illustrates the character of our Heavenly Father than Psalm 23. Psalm 23, a universally beloved passage. Why is Psalm 23 so beloved? It's beloved, friends, because the idea of God as our shepherd is a powerful image. But friends, I want you to think about this. As Jesus people, we come to appreciate this passage in a whole different way, right? Because as Jesus people, we know that the shepherd is actually our Abba, our daddy. And so we read these words, Abba is my shepherd, I shall not want. Abba makes me lie down in green pastures. Abba leads me beside still waters. Abba restores my soul. And so we read these words, these promises through a childlike heart, looking to our perfect Father in heaven. You know, one of my greatest joys as a parent over the years has been tucking my kids into bed at night. It's always a special time of night when I get to tuck my kids in and pray with them before they go to sleep. My son Caleb turns 18 on Tuesday. I don't tuck him in the same way as I used to. But my daughter Addie, even at 17, one of my favorite times of day, I'm usually out in the living room studying late at night, and Addie will call it to me from, from her bedroom. Daddy, come tuck me in. And you know something, friends? Addie's cry to come tuck her in, it's always expectant. It's always eager. 
She never worries that I'm gonna reject her, that I'm gonna fail to come and lovingly tuck her in and pray with her. She's 100% confident in my love as her daddy. And you know something, friends? Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we too, as we're adopted into God's family, we too can approach our Father in heaven with that very same confidence, knowing that he'll always be there. The author of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a privilege is ours, friends, to know God as Abba, Father. But Jesus tells us more about God in this simple statement. Our Father in heaven. Jesus tells us that not only is God our Abba, Father, and not only is he a personal God, but he's also a peerless God. He's our Father in heaven. While God is our daddy, friends, understand we must never forget that we are also to honor him with the highest reverence. He's also the Lord Most High. He's the God who we saw last week in Revelation chapter 4 who sits enthroned in heaven. His throne rests on a sea of crystal-like glass surrounded by a rainbow of emerald. Around his throne are 24 other thrones with the elders of the church seated on them. And around them are a myriad of angelic creatures and, and all of these incredible spiritual creatures with eyes covering their whole bodies and six wings and faces of lions and bears. I mean, just incredible scene of the throne room of heaven. Revelation 4, John tells us that flashes of lightning and peals of thunder are continuously emitting from the throne of God. Yes, friends, this too is our Father, peerless in majesty. And with the angels of heaven, we cannot help but sing to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Friends, how foolish we can be so easily falling into irreverent thoughts of God, the peerless one, casual, irreverent thoughts, taking God's name in vain, using silly nicknames for God. I'm going to go talk to the man upstairs, using flippant, casual prayers when we come into the presence of the God of heaven. Friends, we need to be careful that we don't fail to give God the proper honor that he's due. As God says in Isaiah 45, verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. Beside me there is no God. And so yes, God is our personal God. He's our Abba Father. But he's also our peerless God who sits enthroned on high in majesty, in glory, in heaven. Jesus tells us one more thing about our, our Father here, our God as Jesus' people. He says not only is he a personal God, not only is he a peerless God, but he is also a preeminent Father God. Preeminent in the sense Jesus declares, hallowed be your name. Here in this declaration, Jesus tells us who God is, but also what we as Jesus' people should desire God to be. The word hallowed there in the Greek is hagiazo, and it has two connotations to it. 
It can refer to something that's been sanctified or set apart or something that's holy. And when you think about God, this is who God is. God is holy. Hallowed be your name. He's preeminent in holiness. There is no other being in the universe like God, perfect in majesty and holiness and righteousness. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, friends, this is a worshiper's prayer. Recognizing God for who he is. But also, the word hallowed has this second connotation. It means to be revered or honored or treasured. And so when we pray, God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're praying our desire that God's name would be revered over all the earth, that his name would be hallowed among all people, that he would be treasured above all. And notice, friends, if you have your Bibles open, this Lord's Prayer is comprised of six petitions. Six petitions. The first, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The first three petitions are all about God and his honor and his glory. And then Jesus teaches us in the last three petitions to pray for our needs. There's the pattern, friends. God first us second. When we pray, when we approach God in personal, rational conversation, we're praying to our Abba Father, uh, the, the peerless one, the preeminent one, and we pray for his honor, we pray for his glory, and then we bring our requests as his creation. We bring our requests before him. This is the pattern that Jesus gives us. Pastor John Piper suggests that All the other petitions in this passage actually serve this first one. He writes this. He says, nothing is more clear and unshakable to me than the purpose of the universe is for the hallowing of God's name. His kingdom comes for that. His will is done for that. Humans have bread sustained life for that. Sins are forgiven for that. Temptation is escaped for that. It's all for the glory and hallowing of God's name, friends. And everything in our lives and everything in our universe is ultimately for his preeminence. And so we pray, hallowed be your name. And we pray that the whole world would come to know our God as El Shaddai and and Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Rohi and and Jehovah Rapha and Adonai and Jesus, the Lord, is our salvation. Yes, friends, this is the prayer of Jesus' people. Hallowed be your name, God. May your character, may your glory emanate across this world and may all people revere you and honor you for who you are and for all that you are due. This is the prayer of Jesus' people. And so, friends, as we close this morning in prayer, as we come before the Lord's throne and worship once again, let this be the cry of our hearts that the name of our Abba Father, our personal, peerless, preeminent God would be hallowed over all the earth and that all people might come to know that the Lord is our salvation. Let's pray together. Dear God, we are so thankful that you sent your son Jesus 
And we're so thankful for this prayer that he's given us, this model prayer to, to teach us as your people how to pray. And today, as we've seen God, we have such a great privilege to come into your presence and commune with you. Our personal God in heaven, our Father God, our Abba. May we never take for granted what a privilege that is to come into your presence as children adopted into your family because of what Jesus did in forgiving our sins on the cross. I, I pray if there's anybody here who's never embraced you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord, who don't know what it is to be adopted into God's family, I pray if there's anybody here today who, who needs to come into your presence this morning and say, Jesus, I want to be one of your children today. I want to be a child of God today. I pray that they would do that even right now, even in the quiet of their own heart and accept you as Savior and Lord to know the joy of being a child of God. We thank you, Abba. And we also worship you because you are peerless in majesty. You sit enthroned in heaven and flashes of lightning and peals of thunder continuously emit from your throne. And the angels and the elders surround you and they praise you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you are preeminent in holiness. And so we desire nothing more than for your name to be hallowed over all this earth. That all people, all nations, all tongues might come to praise the name of Jesus, our Savior. And so Lord, help us to live our lives in worship and in service of you and of that goal of hallowing your name. To you be the glory. Amen.